0: Aloha Mission Church, so good to have all of you here today. Thank you so much. I'd like to just first off is let the children go, and children, you are dismissed. Never want to forget that. Um, Thank you, Renata, for serving our kids so beautifully and so well. And um, while the kids are being dismissed, I would love to uh, point you into your bulletin today to find this card here, and um, this card is something that um, I sincerely believe in, because I've seen God use, uh, the power of prayer at work in people's lives. And so what this card basically is, is the opportunity for you to fill out this card with names of people that you know and you care for and you love that, that may not go to church or aren't a part of our service, our church here, and, um, and then just begin praying for them in hopes that as we pray for the people that we care for and love, that we can invite them to be a part of the things that happen and go on in the life of our church. So, coming up in just a month or so is going to be Palm Sunday and Easter. And what a great time it is to invite people to be a part of our service. If you are a guest with us and you don't know this, Palm Sunday is one of the greatest days in the life of this church for a couple of reasons. First, um, Jesus, we we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus back into Jerusalem. We're going to talk about that. Our children are going to have a great um, part in the service as we celebrate Palm Sunday. Second is we have our Easter egg hunt on that day, and I know that's going to be a lot of fun for them. But third, um, every year we have contracted, since I've been here anyway, with a taco truck. And uh, they come and they provide the most delicious tacos, huh? Say amen if you were here last year. Amen. amen. Liz, uh, Liz Horrocks helped us with that. And thank you, Liz, for introducing that taco truck to our church. So it's a great day to invite friends to church on that day. The following Sunday is Easter Sunday, the greatest day in the life of our church. So this is just a way for you to engage with God, to ask God to help uh, as you invite people to come. You can invite anybody to come on church to church anytime you want. But if you've noticed, um, it might be that, that your invitations have fallen flat. Maybe it's because we've not preceded any of our invitations by asking God's help. And when you pray for your friends, <clears throat> let them know you're praying for them. And uh, say, hey Dave, call them up on the phone. I'm going to be praying for you over the next few weeks just for God's favor to be upon you. If there's anything that you need prayer for, let me know. And if Dave says, yeah, could you pray for it? And he lets me know. I write it down on my card. I pray for Dave and his request. And then, in a few weeks, I call him back. And I check in with Dave to see how things are going. And, uh, and what that does, it gives us an opening to have a spiritual conversation and invite them to Easter. Because if you just call on somebody out of the blue, hey, you want to come to Easter Sunday? You know, they're like, ah. But when you've already invested prayer into their lives... It is a great way, a great way to invite people to come. So, I share that with you in hopes that 100% of the church will engage in prayer for the people that they care for. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I pray that you do, please open it up to John chapter 13. We're going to be looking at John chapter 13 today, but I'll just take the... First few moments to remind you of what we talked about last Sunday. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. And the most important part for me anyway, in that message of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave is in, in John chapter 11, verse 25, when Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes in me and lives, I mean, and dies will continue to live. And so this statement of Jesus is so profound uh, because we're looking at the Christology of of understanding who Jesus is. And at the end of my sermon, because we didn't talk any about Lazarus till the very end, And when Jesus says to Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus does, Jesus proves he is who he says he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come on out. And the dead Lazarus comes out. And Jesus is who he says he is, which is so important to know if we're looking at Christology and understanding who Jesus is. And as we continue in our journey with Jesus, following the, the raising of Lazarus from the grave, as you read John chapter 11, John chapter 12, is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, here's the challenging part with the whole time frame. The triumphal entry of Jesus is what we consider Palm Sunday. And that's not for another month. <laughs> and so, but the... the 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 things that happened in the last week of Jesus' life, from his entry into Jerusalem till his arrest uh, and, and, and his crucifixion, that last week is so important. And so we're going to take the next three or four weeks to look at what happened during that week and then retroactively go back to the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So much regard. I was like, "Oh, I hope someone says yes." So, <laughs> um, and so, we're going to look back um, on April second to Palm Sunday, and um, and but you have your finger there in John chapter thirteen, and in John chapter thirteen, if if you've been in the church, you might know this, that John chapter thirteen is mm, one of the most humbling passages of scripture. It's Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And what I wanted to do was juxtapose John chapter 11, which we just came through, to John chapter 13 of what we know Jesus will be doing. And I want to say this to you today as I begin my sermon. Jesus, the resurrection and the life, humbles himself and washes the disciples' feet. Okay? This is what we're dealing with, the pulling of the, the divinity of Jesus and, and the great humanity of, of who he is. Jesus, in these passages that we will look at, display godly humility in, in, in such an unbelieving and uncompromising way and, and shows us what servant leadership really is all about. So I'm going to just give you a brief history on foot washing. Many of you already know this, but if, you, if you've never thought about foot washing, I'll just tell you the cultural context of foot washing in Jesus' day. Foot washing was a common thing in Jesus' day, right? It, it, it wasn't like us today. If you, if you talk about washing someone's feet today, like, ugh, right? Because it's, it's not common for us to wash people's feet. But it was a part of Jesus' culture. It was very common. And it was, it, was, it was common so much so that it was a part of their culture. Right? It was a cultural thing. And the reason why it was because where they lived was warm and they did not have paved roads. So everywhere you walked was on dusty roads and everybody, they, they wore sandals. The, the kids today wear sandals and, and my, my daughters call them J-slips, Jesus slippers. So That's what she calls her sandals. And, um, and walking was the main mode of transportation to get anywhere. So you would have sandals, walking on dusty roads, and by the time you got home or you got to someone's home, you, your feet was kicked up with mud and, and dirt, and, and you didn't want to track that into your home. So, in those days, it was very common to have someone wash your feet before you entered into a person's home. Okay? That's very customary, very culturally acceptable. It's not like that for us today, right? Our culture here today, we have paved roads, we drive our cars, you know, we we wear our shoes, and so our feet aren't dusty and dirty. We don't need to wash one another's feet. And so this is not a part of our culture. Where I'm from in Hawaii, it's a blending of the two. Hawaii is a lot warmer than here. It's much warmer than here. The reason, I, I wear slippers in my home, because the floor is so cold, right? And so, ah, oh, I can't walk around. And But in Hawaii, we don't wear our slippers in the home. It's very warm, and so you can walk around your house barefoot, it's fine. And in Hawaii, we, we, we have cars, obviously. Um, it's true. We, we, live in, we live in grass shacks, but we have cars. We have cars, we, we, we eat, or you catch the bus, but... Everyone wears slippers. You see that picture right there? This is a very common cultural picture of what a home in Hawaii looks like. Because in Hawaii, everyone kicks off their slippers or shoes before you enter into someone's home. Very culturally acceptable. In fact, it's the cultural norm. You don't walk into someone's house with your slippers or shoes on in Hawaii. If you ever go to Hawaii, just understand that. Here... In San Diego, it's okay. You can walk in someone's home and shoes and no one gets offended. But if you walk into someone's home and sh- with, with your slippers or shoes on in Hawaii, you're going to hear about it. Hey, take your slippers off before you come into my house. It's just a culture, okay? That's what it is there. The, the culture of Jesus' day was they, they, they washed each other's feet because that's what the culture was. So that you understand about foot washing, one more thing about foot washing in Jesus' day: if you were if you were well-to-do, if you were rich, you probably had servants. And if someone came to your home, or if I, if you went home, the servant of your house would wash your feet before you entered the house. Okay. And if you didn't have, uh, if you weren't wealthy, you didn't have servants. Then it would be the youngest child that would do that. Christian. I see you there. I know you're the youngest boy in your house. So, so was I. I grew up as the youngest child in my home. How many, how many babies of the house are we have? Okay. I see, I see your hands. Thank you. You would, you would join Christian and I <laughs> standing by the door and washing um, people's guests or our parents' feet when we came home because that was the culture. Was it humbling? Sure. Was it humiliating? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it would be humiliating today, but definitely humbling in in Jesus' day. And in John chapter 13, we find Jesus and his disciples in the upper room preparing for the Passover feast. That's where we find this. John chapter 13 is is not only the washing of uh, of the feet of the disciples it's where kind of where Jesus institutes communion as well too they're about to to have this holy meal and and they're preparing for the passover meal the gospel of john though it, john doesn't tell us how Jesus and his disciples get to the room right all four gospels tell of, of the upper room story but but john doesn't tell us how they get there Mark's gospel tells us. So we're going to look at Mark first before we get to John 13, just so that you know what the context is there. Okay? so in Mark, chapter 14, verses 13 to 15, Jesus tells his disciples go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him and say to the owner of the house. He enters the teacher asks, where's my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. Okay, Very important to know the context as the disciples and Jesus go to the upper room. right? The disciples uh, were, were told by Jesus to prepare for this fa- uh, Passover meal. At a place that they've never been to before, it's kind of so that you understand. I'm trying to help you get to the picture. It's kind of like going to an Airbnb, right? Jesus and his disciples go to this Airbnb, right? And and, and it's it's a big room. They they've someone's let them use it. I don't know if they're renting it, but they're, they're there in a place they've never been before. And um, and here, um, there's no host right? No one's saying, okay, let me, let me host you. They're, they're up there by themselves. It's not their home, so. And, and the reason this is important is because of what's about to happen, and we all are preparing ourselves to hear the story of, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So as, as Jesus and his disciples make their way to this upper room, nobody's thinking about this ritualistic cleansing that they all have to go through before they eat the meal of being clean to wash their hands and feet. And when you, when you picture Jesus eating the Last Supper with his disciples, very often you will get that picture in your mind of Leonardo da Vinci's portrait of Jesus' Last Supper where they're all sitting at a table, all faith, turning in towards Jesus. That I would, I would say that, that that painting is historically inaccurate in that when we, when we understand how people had meals in those days, they, they didn't sit up on a table like we do today. That's, that's our culture. We sit up on tables and we eat meals. But, but in Jesus' day, what happened was they had cushions on the ground and a very low table. Can I just take an opportunity with this here? You might not see me, but they lay down on the ground on cushions with a table in front of them, and this is how they gather to eat their meal. This is the first time I've ever laid down, and you all look very different from this perspective. (laughs) So, should I just preach the rest of my sermon here? (laughs) This is what they they looked like, as they ate their meal. You may have seen descriptions of this. Some may be sitting like this. But there's a reason this, knowing this, is so important. Because they weren't sitting up at a table like this. And the reason this is so important for us to understand is because when you're laying down like that on the floor with 12 other people sitting around a table getting ready to eat, it's really important then to make sure your hands are clean, but maybe even more so your feet. Right? When I'm I'm sitting at a table like this, who cares what my feet look like? Because we're up here. But when we're on the floor and Tom... My feet are right next to your face. (laughs) Exactly, right? You're going to want to hope and wish that I cleaned my feet before we ate. You see what's happening now? You get the picture That, that it's not us sitting at a table eating dinner, but we're laying and lounging together and having clean hands. And just as important, maybe more important now, your feet washed, Is so important. And this fact was not lost on Jesus. He knew exactly what was going on here. And in John chapter 13, Jesus and his disciples are getting ready to eat this meal. And none of the disciples, none of the disciples were going to offer to humbly wash each other's feet. They just weren't. And we know none of the disciples were going to humbly wash each other's feet. Because leading up to the meal, we hear bits and pieces of what the disciples were talking about. And sometimes you would find that the disciples would argue with one another. And you know what they were arguing about? It wasn't about the Padres and how much they're paying Nanny Machado. Okay, It's not about that. It wasn't about the latest TikTok video and which one was the funnest. You all know what the disciples were arguing about. They were arguing about who of them was going to be the greatest when they get to the kingdom of heaven. That's what they would argue about, right? They argued about which of them would be sitting on Jesus' right hand. And because all of them wanted to be that person, the greatest in the kingdom, sitting right beside Jesus' right hand, none of them were willing to lower themselves to serve each other. Because like all of us, they all wanted to be served. It's true. They wanted to be served. And the elephant in the room now, right? The elephant and everybody's lounging around. They're about ready to eat. Nobody's washed their hands. Everybody's feet is dirty. Everybody knows what's going on. This is a cultural norm. And the elephant in the room is, who's going to wash our feet? And (laughs) none of the disciples want to bring it up. You know why? Because the moment you bring it up, Jesus is going to say, well, why don't you wash each other's feet, right? You can see Jesus totally saying that. So the disciples were afraid to even ask. They, they didn't probably even want to make eye contact with Jesus, knowing that this was... That happens to me a lot. <laughs> you know, people are got done with church, and I can see the husband and wife, don't look at Pastor Gordon, he's going to ask you to do something. As I stand up here, people are like... don't You know, people don't want to look me in the eye because they're afraid that if you look me in the eye, I might call you out in the middle of the sermon. Chad Wolf. (laughs) He doesn't care, though. (laughs) You know, and and people, they don't want to make eye contact. And this was the case right here. I believe with Jesus, the disciples, they, they, they were all afraid to look Jesus in the eye. But Jesus knows what's going on, right? Jesus knew that the disciples didn't want to to do this. No one was going to volunteer. And so, Jesus gets up from the floor, takes off his garment, grabs a bucket, puts a towel in it with water, and he's the one the resurrection and the life bends down and starts to wash the feet of his disciples. Now, the disciples then, looking at what just is taking place, I'm pretty sure they're, they're, they're filled with embarrassment almost, right? These reluctant disciples of Jesus respond to it. I'm going to read for you now from John chapter 13. Now that you see the context of everything that's happening, they're not sitting at a table. They're all laying down on cushions with a tiny little table, the food in the middle. They're dirty and no one's willing to move a muscle. And this is what this is how it goes down. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And he had come from God And was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. Took off his outer clothing. Wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that he poured water into a basin. And began to wash his disciples feet. Drying them with the towel. That he had wrapped around him. You guys see the picture in your mind. About what's happening here. Now I want to just take this opportunity. To point out a couple of things. That we read here. In John's Gospel, we read something really interesting. We read that Jesus knows some things. I'm going to point out the things here that Jesus knows. And the reason this is important is because it makes this even more significant what Jesus does. First thing, Jesus knows that the hour for him to leave was here, he wasn't going to have much longer. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus knows that Simon. I'm sorry, not Simon, Judas. Jesus knows that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knows that. It also says in the Bible that Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power. And Jesus knew that he was going to be returning to God real soon. He knew all of this. So what Jesus does here, the next thing that Jesus does, is the most humbling thing in the world, right? Given that you only have just a short time left on this world, what would you do? Knowing that you had a short time on this world and you had resources to do anything, the Father had given Jesus all the power, what would you do? It wouldn't be so surprising if you wanted to get the most out of life or to, to go and see things that you have never seen before. Some people, knowing that, that the only they have just a short amount of time, they, they, they want to go and, and see the world, right? Take these amazing vacations. Some people want to go to Disneyland. Some people want to go take a European vacation. Some people want to go to Hawaii with the remaining time that they have left. I've never been there. I want to see how beautiful it is. A lot of people with just a short amount of time left, they, 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 they want to they do things that they want to do, right? The bucket list things. When we read about Jesus, he doesn't choose to do his own thing. He doesn't want to go see the world or or do things selfishly. Jesus does the will of his Father. That's what he does with the final moments of his life. He does the will of his Father. And and instead of getting the most out of life, Jesus gives the best of his life to the ones he loves. (laughs) That's amazing. That's what makes this foot washing even more significant. It's significant in and of itself that Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrection and the life would do that. But knowing all that he knows, (laughs) he still does it. And for the disciples, it kind of goes from, from, from bad to worse, right? None of them wanted to lift a finger because... They were all trying to reach up and get more. And Jesus kept telling them, the greatest among you must be your least. I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. <sighs> Let me show it to you one more time, because I love you. And he washes his disciples' feet. And you can only imagine, knowing the cultural norms that they lived in, that you don't have the master washed. The servant's feet it's the servant that ought to do that but here jesus lowers himself to serve and it embarrasses the disciples it does right it embarrasses them they every, jesus would start to wash the first disciples feet and i'm sure going through their mind is like oh my gosh i can't believe he's doing this and all the disciples are watching singing to themselves Can you believe what Jesus is doing? And then it gets to them. And they're like, oh, I can't believe he's doing this to me. Everybody feels the awkward dissonance of what is going on until Jesus gets to Simon Peter. And finally, because Simon's the person that, you know, always talks and speaks, he speaks up. And in in John chapter 13, verses 6 to 8, Simon Peter protests. This is is madness. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No. No, no, no. I can picture Simon saying that. Not just once. He's reiterating, no, said Simon Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus says some of the most interesting things here. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Doesn't that sound weird? Simon, unless I wash your feet, you can't be my disciple. Or unless I wash my feet, you have no place in heaven. Isn't that weird? Because doesn't, Jesus doesn't say that's how salvation is found, by, by me washing your feet. <laughs> Guys, there's a greater significance to what is going on here. Jesus is not saying that unless I wash your feet, you can't be my disciple. And he's not saying unless I wash your feet, you can't go to heaven. No, Jesus was using this moment to point to something even greater. And the symbolism of washing feet here, this humbling act of Jesus, was the precursor to the humbling act of being crucified on the cross. And if you can't accept me washing your feet, how are you going to accept me Dying for you on the cross is what Jesus was getting at. Because what's worse, right? Accepting the fact that I, your teacher, your rabbi, your master, I'm washing your feet, or accepting the fact that I, your teacher, your master, is willing to lay my life down on the cross to die for your sins. And if you can't accept that I'm going to wash your feet, how in the world are you going to accept me dying on the cross for you. Washing the disciples' feet connects the foot washing to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And church, it is this humble posture of Jesus bending down to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And it is that cleanses them of the dirt on their feet. And it is the humbling posture of Jesus being laid out on the cross to die on the sins, to die on the cross to cleanse us of our sins. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood. Church, this is where we're at. We're all faced with accepting this humbling sacrifice of Jesus the same way the disciples were faced with accepting what Jesus was doing for them. So this makes our salvation completely free of anything we've ever done to deserve it. It's all, it's all in the humbling, humiliating, self-sacrifice of Jesus that saves us. Do you accept that? Do you accept that? Or are you still struggling with what I can do to find my way into heaven? You can't. Hand. And so today, if you've never come to the point where you are willing to accept the fullness of Jesus' humbling, humiliating posture of death for you, today's your day. Today is the day that you can know salvation free and clear, not for anything that we've done to deserve it, but completely. Because Jesus paid it all. And if you're at that place where you know that Jesus has paid it all for you, then Jesus says one more thing. Come, follow my example and do unto others what I, your master, your teacher, have just done for you. Jesus invites us into taking the next step to follow the example of his humility and his self-sacrifice and service to others. Because if Jesus is willing to humble himself so low for others, then his disciples and all who follow him should be willing to do the same thing. In verses 12 through 17, Jesus says, Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. That's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. You will be blessed if you do them. (laughs) Wow. Now, you guys ready for the frosting on the cake? (laughs) Here's the frosting on the cake. I reiterated, I said this earlier. I said this earlier. That the entire time... Jesus is with his disciples. He knows what's going on. The Bible tells us Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew he was going back to the Father. You know what else Jesus knew? He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew it. So what does Jesus do? He spits on Judas' feet, right? No? No? He stamps on Judas's toe. You betrayer, right? Is that what Jesus does? No. <laughs> Those are the things I probably would have done. But not Jesus. He washes Judas's feet. <laughs> he washes the feet of the person he knows is about to betray him. Why does he do that? He does that for your benefit and mine to set an example of how we are called to live. Yeah. And this is what I love so much about Jesus. I say this again and again and again. Not that he tells us how to love our enemies, but he himself does it first. And then he gives us this beautiful example of how to follow that. And you know, in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says these words, Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. (laughs) That's who he is. And he calls us to live that way. Not only does he teach us how to do that, He's the example of that. He does it himself. Oh, my goodness. Some people say, thanks a lot, Jesus. But I do. I do. Because if he hadn't done it, why should we? Just because he says so? (laughs) But now that he does it and he teaches it, wow, what an example to follow. So, we have this significant example to follow, church, in Jesus. It's significant, you know why? Honestly, because it's hard. It's challenging to do the things that Jesus does. But we can relax a little bit because our call, church, is not to wash each other's feet. Like, shoo, thanks, Jesus. It's not to wash each other's feet but to do what Jesus calls us to do in service to others with a heart of compassion. And in closing, this is what Jesus says in John chapter 13 at the very end of this chapter. In verse 34 and 35, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another this way. You remember what the old great commandment was, right? The old great commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Sometimes I don't love myself as well as I should. But now I have no excuses. Because Jesus didn't tell us here to love your neighbor as yourself. He says to love one another as I have loved you. And here's my example that I leave for you. This is the great commandment 2.0. <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. Humbly, sacrificially, so that we can live out the example of Jesus in our lives. Amen. This is our journey with Jesus. And I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we are confronted with an important message. First and foremost, Lord God, are we willing to accept the humble sacrifice that you made on the cross for us, for dying for our sins in such a way, Lord God, that it's not about us anymore, but it's all about you. It's not about how good or bad I've been, it's about how great you have been and how great you are. And Lord, today, if there's anybody here in our sanctuary or anybody watching online that has not come to the place yet where they have put their full faith in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross, because nothing in this world can wash away our sins except the blood of Jesus. I pray today, Lord God, that we make room in our hearts. And not make room, but clear everything out so that you and you alone can be our Savior and our Lord. In this moment, may we find reconciliation with you, Heavenly Father, through the gift of your Son, Jesus to accept Jesus into our hearts, to believe that He is the Son of God and He is who He says He is. He is the resurrection and the life and He is the same Savior that bent down and washed the feet of His disciples so that our sins can be forgiven. So, Father in heaven, forgive us. Forgive me where we have fallen short in our attitudes and our actions. But we find ourselves returning home to you. That is where you would want us to be. And then today, Lord God, we're also faced with a significant challenge, Lord God, of after having accepted you as our Savior and our Lord, to follow your example, to love each other as you have loved us. come to realize Lord God I can't do that without your help but you have helped so much in that you've given us an example and you've given us your Holy Spirit and you have loved us and we then deserve it so today Lord God may we be committed to serving you authentically loving you, humbly serving one another. And in these days, help us to intentionally share you by the way we live. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.